0: Welcome to the Rocky Messages podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. We are glad that you're here. We're going to be finishing up our series entitled Don't Freak out and uh, we've been enjoying this series over the last five weeks and the reason why we've uh, been in this series is, is because if you could kind of sum up maybe the last couple of years uh, maybe the word that w- would come to the forefront would be the word uncertain, uncertain. It's kind of been uncertain times, we've kind of been living in this place, we're not always sure what today brings or tomorrow, more so maybe than ever in, in any you know, part of your life, that's true for me. Um, and, and, and the reason why is because oftentimes when life becomes uncertain, we have a tendency to freak out. We have a tendency to, to kind of lose our minds a little bit. And, and you, you definitely have learned this the last couple of years that uh, we live in a culture, and, and certainly because of, of what we have, and we have more than what we need. We have probably an over, an over sense of control. And then all of a sudden when things kind of go out of control and you realize you have less control than what you thought, all of a sudden you start freaking out. And so this is why we're doing this series, um, talking about, hey, what does it look like for people who follow Jesus? Uh, What what, what does it look like for them to live in uncertain times? And I said this last week, I really do believe this, that there is one thing you can be certain about, and and, and here it is. You can always be certain that there will be uncertainty. There's always going to be some level of uncertainty in your life, and Jesus seems to think that how you work through that and how you manage that really says a lot about how you view him. And, and, and here's also the other thing with uncertainty, uh, uh, the, the groundswell of our faith. I mean, the story of Christianity, it really starts with you know, the, the life and the death and the, the burial and then the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it starts that first Easter. And, and you just gotta go back. We talk about this week one in this series, but I mean, the most uncertain time in the history of the movement that we call Christianity was right after Jesus died. Because everybody who was following Jesus up to that point really did have faith and believe that Jesus was who he says he was. And while Jesus was talking about how he was going to die and then come back from the dead, they they really weren't paying attention to that. They were more excited about this idea of this new kingdom and how he was going to become king. And then all of a sudden Jesus dies and they are all now filled with uncertainty. They, they, they flee, they run away, they're hiding in dark rooms, they're, they're walking home, they're thinking the movement is over, and, and just the day before, they were so certain that Jesus was who he says he was, and then in a matter of hours, they're uncertain. And then a couple days later, I mean, Jesus comes back from the dead, you know the story, so it's easier for you to be a little more certain, but they didn't. And Jesus comes back from the dead, and all these people that were uncertain now are certain again. Again. I mean, the church was launched in the most uncertain story that we could tell. And here's the other thing. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks, too, that uncertainty, uncertainty is where God does some of his best work in our lives. I mean, you you grow the most when you go through difficult times and and you go back and you look at some of the characters that we read about in, you know, in the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, one of the reasons why these characters stand out is because you see what they endured. You, you see what they went through. On our podcast this past week, um, you know, we were talking about the, the message from last week, and at one point I said, hey, you know what's interesting? When you look at like, some of the characters of the New Testament, is there anything inside of you that really wants to live their life? You know their story. Their story is famous. Why? Because you see what they endured. You see what they had to go through. But if you're honest, you really don't want to go through what they went through. I mean, if you could kind of get through life without, you know, being stoned like Paul, you'd probably take it, right? Right? I mean, you look at the stories of all these New Testament followers of Jesus and, and it's filled with hardship. But again, here's what you see in the most difficult moments of our life. That's where you grow the most. And that's where the, 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 the movement, it, it moves forward. It pushes through. I mean, that's the history of the church over the last 2000 years. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to I jump in. I want to talk about a statement that has to do with the difficulty of life. And I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this statement that we're going to read, it, um, I don't always like it. I don't always like it. it, it it's a harder kind of a couple of verses for me to, to read. And, and my guess is, and, and the statement really is an answer to a question. I'm going to talk about the question in just a second. But here's my guess, that when I read the answer to the question, you won't like the answer either. But we got to ask the question because the question is so relevant to all of us in the room. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. I mean, this is a really good question that all of us are going to have to answer, and we're going to have to probably answer it more times than we would really want to. But before we get to the question, before we get to the answer, I want to remind you that this is not my answer, all right? So don't get mad at me. I didn't, I didn't say this. I didn't write it down. All I'm doing is reading it to you. And, and, and the question that will lead to the answer that you probably won't like is this. Here's the question. This is kind of what we've been wrestling with over the last five weeks. What do we do? What do we do when things are not going well? What do we do? What do we do when things are not going well? If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, what do you do when things are not going well? And last week we were in Matthew chapter 8 and we were working through the story about how Jesus is teaching his guys that they don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. And Jesus is on a a boat with his disciples, and they're out in the middle of this sea. Jesus is taking a nap. All of a sudden, a storm creeps in, and the disciples think they are going to die. And so they do what all of us do When when we are in the midst of a trial or a hardship. The first thing is they do, they start freaking out. They start freaking out. And they're screaming and they're hollering and they see that Jesus is sleeping and they go and they wake him up because they are filled with uncertainty. They really do think they're going to die because there's more water coming into the boat than they would like. And so they wake up Jesus and they begin to have a conversation with Jesus. And that's what we do when we call that prayer. They begin having a conversation with Jesus and they're going, save us, save us, save us. What do you do? Why are you sleeping? We're about to die. You know, fix this. Take this away. And what happens in the story is just a couple of words. Jesus calms the seas. The wind goes away. And everything is back to normal. And I had so many conversations this past week about that story. Because when we read that story in the context of our culture. I mean that story happened 2,000 years ago. We weren't actually there. But if we were, I think the point of the story would be different. But here's what we do we, we kind of take that story and then we roll into our conversations. And I'm telling you, I have so many emails this week, and they went like this Hey, Matt, you told this story about Jesus 2,000 years ago. He calmed the storm for these guys. You don't have to be afraid, but Jesus took away the storm. But I've got a storm in my life and Jesus hasn't taken it away. I thought that's what Jesus does. I mean, I keep asking, I keep praying, I keep doing all the right things. I show up to church, I, I pray the prayers, I memorize the verses, and I've got this thing in my life, and Jesus, he just, he, it's like he doesn't care. It's like he isn't there. And what we have to be really, really, really careful about is that we don't take a story that happened 2,000 years ago and make it say something that I don't think Jesus wants it to say. What if the point of the whole story wasn't that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that every time there's a storm, he's going to be there and he's going to take care of it. What if the point was for them to get a rep, to have a story, that they work through something difficult so that they would know and understand that Jesus is more powerful than anything they're ever going to face because Jesus knows there are trials that are coming for those guys that are going to be far weightier and heavier and more difficult than some water in a boat. And he knows that they'll never stand up to the challenges that are coming down the road if they don't have some of these easier challenges when Jesus is actually in the boat with them. What if the whole deal was about understanding that for them to understand the idea of perseverance and endurance, not the idea that every time there's a difficulty in your life, Jesus, like a genie, will show up and he will take it away? What if it was a whole different kind of exercise? But if we were there, we would probably treat it the same way. We would start to freak out, and then we would start praying the prayers, and we'd start praying the prayers and asking God, God, would you just take this away? God, would you stop the storm? God, would you just take me out of here? God, if you show up, I'll do anything for you the rest of my life kind of prayers, because I don't want to go through this, and I don't want to spend one more day dealing with this, and it's too painful. It's too, it's too difficult. It's too, it's too hard. I mean, it's real life, and so, so it's interesting, this guy named James, who's the brother of Jesus, he's, he's leading in the church in Jerusalem. In fact, uh, James is going to lead the, the church in Jerusalem for 30 years after Jesus is, is crucified and he comes back from the dead. So he's a pastor and he's, he's leading a, you know, a, quite a few people. And let me just give you James' credentials real quick before I tell you what he says to the answer to the question that you're probably not going to like. James! Think about this for a second. If you're in here and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, right? Maybe, you know, you choose, I don't, I don't want to believe in God because I know other Christians and they're hypocritical and I don't want to be like them, but you're not a Christian because you know one, right, or work for one or, you know, married to one, whatever. And so, right, James, just think about this. James, who's the brother of Jesus, if there's ever a guy who wouldn't want to be a follower of Jesus, it'd be James, Right, I mean, that's really difficult to look at your brother and say, not only are you my brother, you are my Lord. So if you've got siblings, you get that. In fact, James, he, you know, when you read the story of James, he probably actually didn't really believe that Jesus was his Lord until he saw him die and come back from the dead. But he does. And he can't ignore it. And so, I mean, he, he just believes that Jesus is who he says he is. So he jumps in. He's a pastor. He's leading in Jerusalem. And I'm just telling you, things are not going well. Things are not going well for the church in Jerusalem. In fact, a lot of Christians in Jerusalem for those thirty years they, they come out of a Jewish background. They bump into Jesus. They you know that now they call themselves Christians and their followers. And in that time and in that culture, to be a you know to be a Christian that comes out of a Jewish background, they were called heretics, and they were pushed to the farthest ring on the outside of the culture they could be pushed through. They were outcasts, extreme poverty. I mean, it was not popular to be a Christian in Jerusalem, at least not when James is leading in the context of local church. In fact, it's not going, I mean, it's, it's going so bad that Paul, who didn't really, really have that many resources to begin with anyways, who in this same season, I mean, he's traveling around, he's planting churches in all these Gentile towns and cities, and as he's planting churches, he's also raising support and money, not just for himself, but for the Christians in Jerusalem. On his return, he's giving money to the church, and he's saying to the church, use this money to help out these poor Christians. I mean, James is leading a group of people that clearly things are not going well. And James sees the difficulty of life, the weightiness of life, the uncertainty, of life. He sees what his church is going through every single day. And so with all of that in mind, this isn't just some guy who's like spitting out some words. This is a guy who's living it. He feels it. I mean, he's right in the midst of, of the groundswell of Christianity. With all that going on, he leans in and he writes some words to these Christians who are going through a season that isn't going well. And I think what he says to them 2,000 years ago, you can apply today. In fact, if James was here, I think he would say the same thing. So look at what he says. This is James 1, 1. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now notice this. Verse 2, he just gets right in it. He's like, hey, we're not going to do small talk. I know things are going so bad, we're just going to talk about how bad things are going. So when I read verse 2, here's what I'm going to do, okay? All I did was, because I'm not a heretic, I'm not trying to trick you, but here's what I did. Verse 2 is like in two parts. All I'm going to do is read the second part first and the first part second. That's it. I just think it helps us read it a little bit better, all right? So here we go, James 1, verse 2, but I'm going to be in part 2, then I'll go to part 1. But here's what James says. Again, he just says, hello, what's up? And he gets right into it. Verse 2, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. So he just leans right in. Notice two things real quick. Doesn't say if. Guys, if you face some tough things. No. He goes, listen, You don't have to find trials. Trials will find you. And that word face right there, when you get into the depth of what that really means, he's talking about the idea of the unexpected, the uncertain, the things that you weren't planning that you were going to have to work through. So he just jumps right in with the church. He goes, guys, whenever, whenever you face uncertainty, whenever you face uncertainty of all kinds, there's going to be all kinds of things that you are not Expecting, I mean, when the unexpected or the uncertain trials of life show up, he keeps going. This would be the beginning of, you know, this is the first part. He says this, you should consider, you should think about, you should reframe, you should try to get a different perspective. You should consider it, and this is the part you're not going to like, you should consider it pure joy. Ugh. I mean, just think about the moments in your life. You're just in it. You're having trouble getting out of bed. You got the phone call. You got the phone call again. You got the news you lost your job. The relationship isn't going well. Your kid disobeyed again. I mean, you're right in the middle of that trial. James leans in. He says, listen, you guys know that when those things show up that you weren't expecting and you got to go through them, you're like, yeah. He says, listen, you should consider that joyful. James doesn't even know your story. I mean, think about this dude right now. He doesn't even know your story. He doesn't know the trials that you have been through. But he still leans in. He goes, listen, you should consider the difficulties of life as an opportunity to experience joy. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that? I mean, that's got to create tension in a lot of people 2,000 years ago. It's got to create tension in us a little bit. Here's why, verse 3, he says, Because... Why should you consider trials to be a joyful experience? Here's why. He goes, because you know, you already know this. You may not like it. You may not want to admit it, but you know, if you would just pause for a second, if you would just stop freaking out, you know that the testing, that the authenticity, that the realness of your faith produces perseverance. James goes, come on, you know this. You know that trials, what do they do? What do the difficulties of life do? They test the authenticity of your faith. They expose our confidence in God. And think about it, it just happens. I mean, you don't, you don't even get to really get to choose this, it just happens. Trials find you, difficulties find you, and then you respond. And how you respond? You begin to discover what you believe. You begin to discover uh, what what you were pretending you believed. You get to discover what your parents told you you should believe, but you really never did. And now as an adult, you're confronted with a trial that is kind of pushing back on that, and you go, man, I was told to believe something, but I just don't really think I believe it because now I'm facing this trial. Trials, eh? They kind of let you see where you're at. And when you face trials, the authenticity of your faith is, it's tested. It just happens. You don't get to choose it. In other words, when when things are not going well, maybe the shallowness or the fakeness, the counterfeit, the, the kind of what's in it for me kind of a faith, what you'll find is in the midst of trials, that kind of faith won't hold up. It won't hold up. It'll fall short every single time. And so James is saying, hey, rather we like it or not, there is a joy. There's an excitement in discovering in the midst of the trial how real our faith really is. Because in the midst of our trials, we're confronted with the authenticity or the lack of authenticity of our faith. When things aren't going well, that's where we really find what we really believe. And in this conversation about faith, we find what we really believe about God. Now, just a reminder, because we're using the word faith a lot, I I would just remind us that, that faith isn't about how we get God to do stuff for us. Faith is not about a formula to how we manipulate God. Faith is having confidence that God has already done something for you and for me. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. It's It's not a way to leverage God or to get God to do something that he wasn't really originally intending to do. That's not New Testament faith. If you jump into the New Testament, this is not the kind of faith the church is living with. So James says, listen, trials, difficulties, they demonstrate the authenticity of your faith and it produces something else. Look at him verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The ability to hold up under pressure or stress. James goes, look, trials, they make our faith stronger because it exercises our faith. This is not a trick question, but you know how to grow a muscle? Some of you are like, I never lifted a weight in my my life. You know how you do it? You got to exercise the muscle. If you want your muscles to grow, some of you didn't notice, let me tell you. Listen, if you want your muscles to grow, You've actually got to, you have to exhaust your muscle. You have to exercise it. You have to work it out. You you have to exhaust the strength that you have so that when you get to where you've got nothing left, when your muscle begins to regain its strength, it doesn't come back at the same level, it comes back stronger. This is the idea that James is saying. If you want your faith to be strong, then you have to exercise it. And the only way to exercise it is to go through trials which is why you should consider it pure joy. Because in the midst of trials, your faith is growing. It's becoming stronger and you're gonna need it to be stronger because there are trials coming that are much harder than the trial that you may find yourself in today. And then he says something interesting. If you use the gym analogy, he kind of says, hey, when you're working out, when you're exercising your faith, make sure you do the whole workout. Make sure you don't leave the gym early. Don't, I mean, just don't wuss out because it's hard. Hang in there. That's not exactly what he says because he probably didn't like lift weights. But anyways, verse four, look what he says. He says, let perseverance finish. So you've got to get all the way through it. You've got to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James goes, don't bail out just because it gets hard. Don't walk away just because the muscle might be burning. That's exactly what you need. And it might be uncomfortable to hear that, but that's that's what he's saying. And the reason why he's saying that is because oftentimes the thing that we want removed in our life is the very thing God is using to grow us and mature us. James says, don't fall into the trap that when trials enter into your life that you just wish them all away because these are the exercises you need to be strong. Don't walk away just because it gets tough. You need this. God is going to use it to make your faith stronger. And that thing that... You're probably trying to pray away, which I, listen, I completely understand. I'm there all the time. God, I'm dealing with this difficulty. Just take it away, take it away, take it away. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Solve it, solve it, solve it. Make it better. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. Listen, I get it. It's understandable. But James says, you know what? God's probably using it for your good. He's probably using it to exercise your faith and it just might stay there until he decides to remove it. James goes, look, if you're a Christian, you got to have kind of a different perspective. You got to know that you can have joy in the midst of the trial because you know this trial is exercising your faith that's going to produce perseverance, which you're going to need to finish this race called life. If you're going to make it to the end, if you're going to cross the finish line, then you're going to need something that's going to allow you to endure and to persevere. And one of the things you're going to need is a strong faith. Now, when I read that and maybe when you hear that, one of the things I think of is it's really difficult in the midst of extreme trials to see the joy in it. I mean, it almost seems harsh that that's what James is saying to a group of Christians that really are still being persecuted, they're, they're outcasts, they're extremely poor. that of all the things that James could say, that's where he starts. He goes, "Hey, this isn't going well, is it?" And they're like, "No." And he's like, "Praise God. This isn't going well, is it, Church? No, it's not, because you know, Uncle, our uncle, he just was martyred for his faith. He just got crucified. James goes, "That's awesome. That's awesome." And that might just hit you in a way that, that doesn't seem right, doesn't seem very compassionate and you're thinking about your story right now about the difficulties of your life and, and here's a guy who was a leader in the local church 2,000 years ago who's leaning and he's going, yeah, it is tough. And I love that he admits that it is tough. And then the very next thing he says, but man, what, the, what joy that we get to see that our faith is tested and it, it will be stronger but sometimes it's almost impossible to see that. James knows this. He keeps it real. Verse five, here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you can't really see the joy because you're in the midst of that hardship and it's extremely painful, if any of you can't, can't possibly see what I'm asking you to see, if any of you lacks wisdom, here's what you should do. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to You, and some of you are like, I don't want wisdom. I want relief. James says, if you really want to be able to experience the joy in the middle of the trial, then you should just ask God to allow you to see it. It's an incredibly different prayer. The prayer goes from in the midst of your trial, God, take this away to God, give me wisdom and help me see as you see. And I'll be honest, I just haven't prayed that prayer the whole time. My prayers are, God, fix it, take it. Where are you? What are you doing? Thought you loved me. Why am I in the middle of this? James says, you know what? There might be a better prayer. Maybe that trial's there for a reason, and maybe you should ask God to give you the wisdom to see it for what it is. And so what do we do when things are not going well? What do you do? Mark 14. Jesus begins to face what will become his greatest trial. It's Holy Week. The Passover meal is, is about to happen, which he will have with his disciples, but he'll kind of turn that into the very first communion. He will break bread. They will drink from the cup. Judas will set the motion of the story of Easter. He betrays Jesus for some money. The guys are hanging out together. They take communion. Jesus is talking about how you know he's about to be crucified and nobody's really still believing him. They sing some songs together, and then they go to this place called the Mount of Olives. So this is Mark 14, verse 32. What do we do when things aren't going well? Here's what Jesus did. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Isn't this what we do? I love the humanity of Jesus. Verse 33, so he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed And troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watched. He's experiencing sorrow to the point of death because he knows that death is coming. Jesus was going to have to endure something in his death that nobody else in the history of the world will ever go through. And this reality begins to set in and this trial begins to shake Jesus in grief. Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed. He prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. God, you're in control of all things. Mind you, this is the very same guy who last week in Matthew chapter 8 with two words could calm the seas. Now he's praying to his dad. And what does he say? If it's possible for you, dad, could you take this cup from me? Dad, if there's any way that we could change up what's about to happen, I would take it. God, if you could take this away. I see what is coming, I see the difficulty, I see the pain, and I see the hardship, but look how he he finishes prayer. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I know this isn't my plan, but if it was my plan, Dad, I would take a different way, but I'll I'll do your plan. If this is the plan, Dad, this is the plan that we will go. Go. Jesus is broken because he's getting ready to experience the full wrath of God towards sin so you didn't have to. And here's the kicker. You want to talk about how life isn't fair? It's definitely not fair. Jesus never sinned. Never fell short, never knew or experienced the consequences of sin, and yet he is just literally hours away from being nailed to the cross. And on the cross, here's what it says that Jesus will become sin. And so, for the very first time in all eternity past, Jesus will be separated from the Father. They've been in existence in perfect harmony. Forever And on the cross, Jesus will take on our sin and he'll be separated from the Father and and more importantly, from the love of the Father. And he knew, Jesus knows in this moment the trial that is about to come and it says it grieved him, brought him to his knees. And he prays, dad, could you take this from me? And if Jesus doesn't drink this cup, If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, if Jesus doesn't experience the full wrath of the Father towards the sins of the whole world, if God in this moment would look at the Son and go, you know what, I'll, I'll take this away. You don't have to go. I love you. I'm going to take it away. This is going to be too hard, too painful. It's too much. If God would do that, friends, we wouldn't be here this morning. There would be no hope, no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness. And God will say to his son, son, I can't take the trial away. This is one you're gonna have to go through. Verse 41, returning the third time, he said to them, this is Jesus talking, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And then I, I love this little anthem here. We miss this sometimes verse 42. I've just been in this verse for a week. Look what it says, "Rise. Boys, time to get up. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Here comes my trial. Here comes my battle. And after the third prayer, Jesus prays three times. He gets up and he will never look back. He will never question the Father. He will carry his cross and he will be crucified. And this is the moment that all these New Testament writers keep looking back to. Just jump into the scriptures. All, I mean, all these New Testament guys, I mean, they're, they're going through hardship and misery and people are being crucified and they're poor. And I mean, the list keeps going on and on and on again. And they keep writing to the local church. How do you encourage? How do you encourage a group of people who are in the midst of hardship and trials that Jesus isn't just taking away? What do you do? Here's what they all do. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Look what they do. Same kind of language that James uses therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles look at the words here and let us run with what perseverance you got to run with some perseverance meaning it's not going to be easy so you got to run this race that's marked out verse two here's what you do you fixed your eyes on jesus why well, he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy. They're all using the same language. For the joy. Well, I, how could we ever find any joy in the midst of trials and hardship? Well, you got to look at Jesus because this is what he did. He found joy. There was joy that was set before him. What did he do? He endured Wasn't taken away, he endured it. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what do you do? Verse three, you consider him. Mm. What'd he do? Well, he endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul teaches it, Peter teaches it, James teaches it. You know what they teach? They look at the church and they go, guys, this is hard, isn't it? This is tough. Not one of them, not one of them put a theology in front of the church and they go, if you will just ask, God will take it away. He'll take it away. Whatever trial you're going through, he'll take it away. I'm telling you, they're not, that's not what they're saying. None of them. You know what they all say? You should think about Jesus more. You should talk about Jesus more. You should worship Jesus more. You should consider him. Why? Because he went through what you're going through. And when he prayed and asked the Father if there's any other way, the Father said no, and he stood up, and he went and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. The whole thing is built on trials. And somewhere along the way, I don't know what it happened, but somewhere along the way, listen, I know this feels doom and gloom, but you hang with me. Somewhere along the way, the church began presenting a gospel that if you're a Christian, it's all kicks and giggles and God just shows up and does for you what you want. You wanna want, want know why there's not that many young people in church because we put a gospel in front of them that wasn't real. And they showed up and they sang the songs and they prayed the prayers and then life, trials hit them and nobody told them you should expect it. And they walked away. And they said if this is what it's like to be a Christian, why? What's in it for me? And they walked away. And none of these New Testament writers teach that. All of them go, Life is tough. If you're not a Christian, you should think about it because these gospel writers keep it real. None of them say this race is going to be easy. And if they did, they would be liars. Life is rough. You know it. You don't have to be a Christian to know that to be true. There will be pain. And all these New Testament writers say you should expect it. You should expect it. Verse 42 So you rise. You rise and let us go. See, some of you got and have been knocked down. You got into a trial. It was unexpected. It was uncertainty, but it has laid you out. And you got knocked down. And what these New Testament writers are saying to the church has been getting knocked down over and over and over again. Here's what they say, get back up get back up. This so is what Jesus does. He goes, hey, come on, get up. Get up. We're about to get into the midst of a trial, so you got to get up. And some of you are, you're in the midst of the trial, you just got done with the trial, or you've just been getting knocked down. You go, Matt, listen, I tried to get up, and then I got knocked down again. And then I got up, and I got knocked down again, and I tried so hard, and I cared so much. But man, I'm just looking for relief. And I just keep seeing it get knocked down. It's just been one trial after another. And you don't know my story. If you know my story, if I could just sit with you for a moment and I could tell you my story, you'll see. If I could just spend a couple minutes with James and I, he would understand the difficulty of my life. And you're right, I don't know your story. And James doesn't either, but Jesus does. He does, and if you're trying to figure out how could the Son of God be motivated to go to the cross, to die for your sin and mine, it's because he knows the trials that you're going through. I don't know your story, but Jesus does. And some of you are going, if you knew my story, if you knew my dad, and listen, I grew up with an alcoholic dad. And if you knew my story, you wouldn't be telling me to try to find joy in the midst of hardships. I beat cancer once, but then I got the phone call and it came back again. Matt, you don't get it. I've been praying for my kid for years because they walked away from the faith. I don't even know where they are. They don't want to talk to me. And I've been asking God every single day for years. And he hasn't shown up. Man, if you knew my story, you weren't there when the divorce happened. You weren't there when I said that thing. You weren't there when I made that choice. You weren't there. How can you say that there is joy to be found in the midst of the trial? Listen, I stayed when other people would have left. I smiled and I faked it. I was disciplined. I showed up for church. I prayed the prayers. I memorized the verses. I, got, I asked God for help and I got knocked down. What's the point? Feel like there's no hope. So what should I do? Here's what you should do. You should consider him. Get back up. Consider him. You can't always change the trial, but you can change how you respond to it. You can become anxious and nervous and upset. You can start freaking out you can say as crazy as it might sound what a joy but I'm about to see how much I actually have in the tank about to see this faith get exercised what do you do when things aren't going well you consider him and you get back up and the only thing that really matters is how you're going to respond to getting knocked down if you're alive in this room we all have this in common because we know what it feels like to get knocked down You're not all by yourself. We all have stories. And what sets the church apart from the rest of the world is we get back up. We get back up. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. You get back up and then you do what Jesus did. You start moving, you go one more. See, the mission that God has called us to is not an easy one, it's not easy. You go read the stories of the early church, it's filled with incredible hardship. It's a story about a group of people that kept moving forward in the face of adversity. They kept moving forward in the face of opposition. So many excuses that we could tell ourselves about about how we don't wanna go, you know, one more. We don't want to work through the pain of the trial, the difficulty. Listen, it wasn't my fault. I'm, it's not fair. I'm too tired. I don't have enough time. What will other people think? What will other people say? And all of these New Testament writers go, you should consider him. You should consider Jesus who went one more when he didn't have to. When he went to the cross and he didn't have to. It's just feeling like you just... Listen, you gotta go one more. You gotta keep going until you have nothing left. You have to exhaust your your faith muscle and you get to where it's just burning and you got nothing and you just rep one more out. You got a little bit more in there. And I wish I could tell you that once you get through this trial, things are gonna get easier and life will get lighter. But friends, it might not. It might not. But you don't stop, you go. One more, not for your glory. Not so that you can get to the mountaintop one day and go, look at me, I persevered and I endured. How good am I? No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went went one more for you. We go one more, we don't quit. We keep living out our faith in the midst of extreme trials and hardships because there are people on this planet who don't know who God is. That when there's a world that's trying to figure out how you can have joy, we roll in having joy in the midst of hardship. And we go, this is really tough. We don't even have good churchy answers for this. Here's what we know, the reality of life, it is hard and it is tough, but my faith is being exercised because I've been put on this planet for a mission that God has called us to. And here it is, that there are more people that need to bump into who Jesus is. And we're not gonna reach them if we're freaking out and hiding in the dark in the midst of uncertainty. We're the crazy ones. We're the ones who see it differently. It's why you're here. The history of the church has been one filled with incredible hardship. Incredible sacrifices have been made so that you would have the opportunity in your life To hear a story about a guy who claimed to be the son of God who loved you and died for you and came back from the dead. There were people who thought it was worth their own life so that you might have the opportunity to hear it. What do we do when things aren't going well? You get up and you keep moving forward. Why? Why? Here's what James says, verse 12, and then we're done. Blessed is the one who perseveres? You want to get to the finish line? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Hmm. We get a choice. It's not if, it's when. It's not if life will be tough, it's just when is it going to be tough. Trials of all kinds. You can freak out. And you can ask God to take it away over and over and over again. Maybe even become frustrated with God for not doing what you want him to do. Or or you could have a different perspective. And see the joy that's been put before you. To exercise your faith knowing that the world is watching to know that you'll be stronger if you choose to persevere and endure. As you get ready for the next trial, and the next trial, and the next trial. This is the faith of the early church. You know, I was thinking this week, if this was the faith of our church, I mean, if we just all live this, you know. Hey, we're not going to freak out. We're not going to freak out. We're not going to freak out. Hey, life is tough, isn't it? It and its tough, but dude, I'm exercising. My faith is growing. There wouldn't be a seat open in this auditorium. The world is watching and going, how can you, how can you believe in a God that allowed you to go through trial? How can you still worship God when you buried your kid? How do you still go to church when you lost your business how do you believe in a God when you still experience pain and suffering and trials how do you do that if we would live in such a way that the early church did has the power to change the world again for the joy for the joy Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, for asking Jesus to do something that created grief in your son that could not be easy. I thank you that you asked him to do it on our behalf, an unimaginable trial that he would endure and persevere. So I pray this morning that we would consider him in the midst of extreme hardship for the person who right now is grasping for hope, who's been knocked down over and over and over and over again. God, I pray they'd get back up. They'd go again. They would try again. They would trust that you are who you say you are, that you're with us and to know that life doesn't always turn out the way that we want it to. We don't get to choose all of our trials. Some are chosen for us. And I pray that we would be courageous enough to exercise our faith, to be real and vulnerable, that we would keep moving forward even when it's not easy. God, help us to, to be mindful of those around us who are going through incredibly difficult times. It's the beauty of the church that we don't have to do this all by ourselves, that we would be for one another, and we would carry each other's burdens. God, help us to see what you see, that after we pray the prayer that we ask that you would take it away, that we may also pray that you would give us wisdom to have a different perspective, that we may view the trials of our life a joy, knowing that we are getting stronger, building perseverance and endurance to run the race that you have called us to. We thank you for Jesus and we consider him this morning, who found the joy in the midst of a cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.